Christmas is a very unusual time of year. It's supposed to be this wonderful, happy time of year. Yet many people get real worked up. Have you noticed this? People get upset that many are saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. People get upset that many are seeking to take Christ out of Christmas. People say the president has declared war on Christmas. Starbucks has removed the wintry scenes on their cups and replaced them with simple red cups. These wintry scenes cups, after all, go all the way back to 1997. This holiday has such a strong hold on the American imagination. I think it's especially ironic that American Protestants have such strong feelings about Christmas. Because Christmas, in its origins, is largely a European Catholic holiday. Did you know that? Look behind me. See that word Christmas? What are the last three letters? M A. Yes, it's short for Mass, as in the Catholic Mass. Christmas is the feast of the Nativity. The Puritans didn't even celebrate Christmas. Christmas wasn't even a legal holiday in Massachusetts until 1856. But enough about that. Maybe someday I'll teach a sold class on the history of Christmas. But after what I just said, I doubt anybody would even show up. Every year, these culture wars break out. And this is unfortunate, because we seem to misunderstand the nature of war. We seem to forget what the true war is. The theme of Vespers this year is Child of War. And I love what John Berger has done with this theme. I think it really captures what is going on in these passages and in the entire story of redemption. So many people in our culture... um, So many of our culture wars go back to trying to hold on to a civil religion. And it's often been said that um, Americans have a very fervent faith, a very fervent faith in a very vague religion. So when a president has decided he no longer wants to be the high priest of American civil religion, people are up in arms. Yet I think this might be a really good thing. I think that it might give us the needed clarity on the gospel. Never have Americans been so confused about the gospel. And I'm not just talking about non-Christians. Civil religion has slowly crept into our churches, our preaching, and our notions of discipleship. We desperately need clarity. And I think the church in the first few centuries had a much better understanding of this than we do. What if I told you that nobody celebrated Christmas for the first 300 years of the church? Yet this was a time of unparalleled growth in the church. It was also a time of terrible persecution of Christians. They understood the true nature of the war. And so at Advent, we pause to consider the true nature of the war. Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year. And the word means coming, as in the coming of Christ. But this coming is to be understood in two ways. First, the coming of Christ in the Incarnation. Second, the second coming of Christ at the end of time, his coming in glory. As Christians, we don't just think about the past. 
We look forward in hope to the future. And we have hope because we know that history is not haphazard. We know that God is triumphing over Satan in his own perfect timing and in his own perfect way. So here we are at the beginning of the liturgical year and looking in hope at the end of time. The coming of the Messiah has been anticipated for centuries. John preached last week on Genesis 3.15. The imagery of Genesis 3.15 is graphic. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Paul will take up this language in Romans 16, as we'll see next week. There were echoes and hints all throughout Old Testament history of a coming Messiah. But did anyone really know how or when this would come about? Listen to how the author of the Hebrews opens his letter. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so here we are tonight in Luke chapter 2. Luke has already introduced Mary in chapter 1 of his gospel. The, the angel Gabriel has been sent by God to tell Mary she will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus. And Luke continues in chapter 2. In fact, one of the main emphases in the early chapters of this gospel is Mary, her faith and obedience. There's no reason to exclude Mary from our theological vocabulary. One of our songs tonight, What Child Is This?, emphasizes Mary. Luke wants you to take note of her role in redemptive history. And the church father Irenaeus in the second century said uh, a very similar thing. He said that Christ made right what Adam had made wrong. And he also said that the Virgin Mary demonstrated obedience, whereas the Virgin Eve had demonstrated disobedience. Mary is a model of faith and obedience. And this makes me reflect on Vespers. Vespers comes from the Latin word for evening. It's basically the same as evening prayer or evensong. It is one of the oldest traditions in the church. It goes back to at least the 4th century, probably earlier, probably the 2nd century. And traditionally, throughout church history, Vespers uh, would culminate in the chanting of the Magnificat, Mary's song in Luke 1. Look again at our passage in Luke 2, 1 through 7. God is waging his war against Satan. But this war zone is not a traditional war zone. God would have it no other way. Jesus is born into a non-traditional family. His parents are engaged and his mother is a virgin. And they are displaced and on a journey in order to be registered. He is born on the far edges of the Roman Empire. Not in Rome, but in the tiny town of Bethlehem in the far east part of the Roman Empire. He is not born during the day. He's born at night. He is not born in a hospital or a hotel or a home. He's born in a stable, which may have even been a cave. The first people to hear about his birth are not influential people in society. They're shepherds. How unassuming 
How low profile. And our hero enters the war zone as a baby. He enters in weakness. Yet God is waging a war through his son Jesus, and Jesus enters the war zone, and he will be victorious in rescuing us from the dominion and powers of darkness. And think about the manger. A manger is a trough, as in a feeding trough. This baby who would be placed in a feeding trough would many years later feed 5,000 people. And he would go on to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. As Christians, we live in hope and expectation as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we live in anticipation of the promised marriage supper of the Lamb. I love what Luke says in verse 8 and following. He talks about shepherds, and he quotes the angel. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The city of David, the mentioning of shepherds. Remember David, remember David, the shepherd boy. Jesus is the true and better David. He is not just a king, he is the king of kings. He is not just a shepherd, he is the good shepherd. A shepherd cares for his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep, the church. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so God has chosen to enter into a war against Satan and his forces in a way that we could have never imagined. Did you know that for centuries people have asked why God did it this way and not another way? The best answer is to not answer. Or as the 4th century church father Gregory of Nyssa once said, why question the methods of a doctor when he is healing you of a disease? A month ago I went to Vietnam. I spent about a week there. At the end of my trip I got to spend some time in Ho Chi Minh City. It's the largest city in Vietnam and it's in the southern part of the country. Uh, Ho Chi Minh City is hard to describe. It's a huge city, six times the size of Dallas. And on a Friday night, it seems like everyone is outside. Scooters and taxis everywhere, people walking in the streets, people dancing, people eating at outdoor cafes. It's a very exciting city. Never been to a city like this in my entire life. I spent a Friday night walking around the city doing some sightseeing. I was looking for a particular building. And I walked up and down streets and got a little turnaround at times trying to find this building. Finally, I found it. I stood at the base of this nine-story building, and I stared at it. Many of you know that Ho Chi Minh City was not always the name of this city. Forty years ago, it was called Saigon. And 40 years ago, this past April, the city was ours from falling to the communist forces of the Northern Viet Cong Army. The 20-year Vietnam War was coming to a very, very dramatic end. The Viet Cong Army was about to capture Saigon and consolidate the entire country. 
Hundreds of Americans were desperately trying to flee Saigon. Anyone left behind would be imprisoned or executed. The only way to get out was by going up. The U.S. undertook a dramatic helicopter rescue mission on the rooftops of two buildings. One was the American embassy. The other was the building right in front of me. It was an apartment complex that housed a number of U.S. government employees. What drew me to this building was a famous photograph. And many of you know what I'm talking about. There's a famous photograph of a helicopter that has landed on top of this apartment complex. And there's a line of people on the roof of this apartment complex. And there's a line of people trying to get up this ladder to get to a higher level of the roof to get into the helicopter. And the pilot is working furiously to pull people into the helicopter and take them to safety. It is an incredible scene of one of the most one of the greatest rescue missions of the 20th century. It was sobering to stand there thinking about what had happened on this spot 40 years ago. I thought to myself, what a great picture of the gospel. Jesus comes down to rescue us. He enters the war zone. He pulls us to safety. He rescues us from war and destruction. Except the analogy doesn't fully hold up. I'll mention just two reasons why. Forty years ago, people walked up to meet the helicopter on top of the roof. We didn't walk up to Jesus. He came down and met us in the darkness. And frankly, we walked in the battles and wars of the kingdom of darkness. And we relished the wars of darkness. This is a place of corruption, a place of hostility, a place of destruction. And we oftentimes still relish this place. And another thing, Jesus rescued not just Americans or wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. He rescued the outcasts. He rescued those we ignore and often despise. He rescued those of different races, different languages, different political views. He rescued the outsider, the stranger, the outcast. The gospel is an every tribe and tongue gospel. And frankly, we're all outsiders. Jesus didn't come to save intelligent, affluent white people. He came to save the lost. He didn't come to establish an intelligent, affluent, white civilization. He came to establish a church. And this church has white, brown, black, and every other color. And it is full of outsiders. Do you think Jesus is as uncomfortable with outsiders as we are? Look at where he came from. He was born in a stable. His first bed was a trough. He is quite comfortable saving whomever the Father chooses. He brings the outsiders now cast into the church. But as Christians, we often jump back 
into enemy territory. For some reason, we like to walk back into the wars of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus has triumphed over this kingdom. It is therefore a kingdom with no hope. So we need not walk into the wars of this kingdom. We need to stop walking into the various culture wars that demean and belittle others. We need to stop walking into the wars of bitterness that alienate us from others. We need to stop walking into the wars of self-righteousness that set us over others. We need to stop walking into the wars of envy that eliminate thankfulness from our vocabulary. We need to stop walking into the wars of you fill in the blank. We are not members of the kingdom of darkness. We are members of the kingdom ushered in by the baby in the stable in Bethlehem. We belong to his kingdom. How can we who died to sin still live in it, Paul asks. The wars of darkness obscure the gospel for non-Christians. And we have never needed to be clearer about the gospel message than today. The child of war has rescued us from these wars we tend to wage, and he has called us to a life of peace. He calls us to a life of love. He calls us to a life of forgiveness. He calls us to a life of reconciliation. And he calls us to a life of outreach. What wars are you walking into? What wars do you relish? What wars do you need to put under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Let us not misunderstand the nature of the war. Jesus has entered the war zone to wage a battle on our behalf, and he has victoriously pulled us to safety. Since we are united to Christ, we are set free, and we are no longer slaves of war in a perishing kingdom. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to wage the war we were not capable of waging. Thank you for giving him as an example the life in the new kingdom. I pray that we may be faithful witnesses in living out and sharing this good news. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Christ's name and by the Spirit. Amen.